Well, good morning, congregation at One Hope. It's uh, my privilege to be bringing God's word to you today. And uh, we're looking at the subject of investing in God's kingdom. And uh, I just wanted to say, uh, give a brief working definition of God's kingdom, because it's something that um, is assumed more or less through the text. But a good one is God's rule over God's people in God's place to accomplish God's purposes. So that's the sort of theme that we're looking at, and I want to look at it through the lens of Psalm 24, 1 Peter 4, and 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, my name is Bill Bosker, and I'm one of the members here at uh, One Hope, and it's been a privilege to be here and be able to do some preaching. And uh, our prayer, as we prayed beforehand, is that God will use this message to uh, change us, to be more like his instruments for his glory. So by way of introduction, it's the season at the moment of our national budget. And it's COVID delayed, of course, and we've also had our AGM this past week and approved a budget for 2021. And our leadership has also given us the opportunity to sign our pledges for the coming year. So it's a good time to think about how are we going to invest in God's kingdom. We are called to be stewards of his resources. We want to explore that. But having read from 1 Chronicles 29, um, we, we, we see how David understood this concept. David in the text has already given of his personal wealth to provide for the building of the temple. And then he asks the people, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord? And this consecration includes being a partner in building the temple. As we read in the text, when many leaders and officers and commanders join in giving their personal wealth for the work, David just bursts out into praise to the Lord. And listen how he says it. He says, Yours is the greatness and the power. Wealth and honour come from you. And all this abundance that we have provided comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. David says everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. If you would look at Webster's Dictionary and look up the, the word steward, you'll see this definition. The steward is a person employed to manage the affairs of a large estate or someone who makes sure that there are enough supplies to run an institution or a family. So a steward is not the owner. A steward is someone who manages on the owner's behalf. And my question as we explore this subject is, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the owner of things or do you see yourself as a manager of the resources God has given you? And let's, let's test this out for ourselves. When it comes to your house or your car or your computer or your iPhone or your furniture, your tools, even your own business, do you see it as belonging to you? Or do you see it as God's 
and it's yours to use and manage for a time. Now that's an intensely personal question, but in the course of this message, think about it and then also consider the implications. So let's look at some of these scripture passages I mentioned, and the first one is from Psalm 24, and particularly verse 1, but we'll read through to verse 6 because it does give that context. So Psalm 24, it's a psalm of David, and he says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by what is false. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. But notice those opening words. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This verse has far-reaching implications. The earth and everything in it and all who live in it is all God's. Firstly, because he's the creator of everything. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Secondly, since Christ has reconciled to himself all things through the cross and has supremacy over everything, he also owns it. God the Father as creator owns everything and God the Son as the Redeemer, the one who brought it all back, also owns everything. So God's word is saying to us that everything you have, your possessions, your health, your children, your talents, your gifts, your business, even yourself. It all belongs to God. Now, do we accept that as being true? Because it really challenges our Western view of money, of title, of belongings, and even time. See, we, we look through our own culture, and our culture tells us that Land and title and possessions is ownership. I own it. I've paid for it. I can do with it what I like. That's how our culture thinks. Have you said things like that or even thought that? Because it's the prevailing attitude which has infected our culture and it also can exist in the church. And I'd like to contrast that with the traditional, authentic, Aboriginal view of land, where they see themselves as custodians, as caretakers, as managers, as stewards. And that's closer to the biblical view. So I think that we need a radical rethink in the light of Psalm 24, verse 1. God is the rightful owner of everything we have and we hold. He owns us fully. And so for us to think that we are the owners is actually a form of rebellion against God. And in a sense, he has a right to be angry about those sorts of attitudes we might have. We could need to repent of that. Let me give you an example of how God could feel by giving a personal example. 
How would you feel if someone takes uh, at school takes your school bag and eats your lunch? They just help themselves to your school bag, eat their lunch. How do you feel about that? What about if someone uses your books but never bothers to return them? Would you be upset when that happens, even angry? Or what if someone would walk into your home and just help themselves to your pantry? Or just go into your bathroom? Or open the garage and get in your car and drive it away? Would you feel violated? Would you feel sinned against, upset? And tell the person next to you how you might feel. I wonder if God feels that way about us sometimes and the way we view his possessions. Compared to Psalm 24.1, our thinking is often upside down. We think that what we have is hard-earned and it belongs to me. And so our attitude can be like this. I'll give God part of what I have. Instead of thinking and living by saying, it all belongs to the Lord and he lets me have part of it. It's a different way of thinking, isn't it? So that's thinking like a manager, like a steward, like a custodian. We are then servants who manage our master's property. So my challenge is to let this way of thinking permeate the way you process things. In other words, on earth, let's not hold on to things too tightly. Let's loosen our grip, as it were, because everything is on loan from God. And one day, we have to give an account back to God on how we've managed it. And so this applies not only to money and to houses and possessions, but it actually also applies to my life, your life our natural talents and abilities and our spiritual gifts. And so I'd like you to say with David, with me, everything comes from the Lord. Everything comes from you, Lord. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. And let's have a, a think about that principle and see how it works out. Have you ever seen a newborn baby come into this world. I know that many of us have. But how does that baby come into the world? In one word, it's naked. Naked. Have you seen a person go out of this world? They only have the clothes on their back. In fact, we put people in a box, a coffin, in the Middle Eastern culture on a stretcher. So whether you're rich or poor, there's not room for much else. So in other words, we start our life with nothing and we end our life with nothing. And everything in between is on loan. We receive, we use, we give away, we leave behind. And so our text is saying to us that whatever you do for the Lord will last. So that's what I mean by investing in God's kingdom and then you'll reap eternal dividends. You'll sow into the lives of other people. And, and the most important thing, of course, to sow is the seed of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that brings fruit for all eternity. So let's take a, a long-term view, an eternal perspective. And let's do more of the things with our life that actually last.
So, a self-examination question. Let's look back over our lives so far. Do we have any regrets? What do I need to change from here on in? And when I look at what God has done for me, when you look at what God has done for you, what, what have you actually done for him? So I really want you to live with no regrets. Now today we're looking at much more than just how we use money. We're also looking at our very own selves, our God-given gifts and abilities and energies. How are we going to use ourselves for eternity and for investing in God's kingdom? For example, in the church, we, we always need leaders and elders. So how are we, as, as men, investing in maturing so that we might serve in that capacity? What about our gifts as musicians or cultivating that gift? We always need more. What about people who need to be helpers in administration or evangelism or in pastoral care or people who will be prayer people, prayer warriors? In all these ways, we can make what we have and do count for eternity and God will even give us the experience of seeing blessings now. As part of One Hope Community Church, we have so many gifted people. When I look around, I see amazing gifts. And many people are already using those gifts and making a difference for eternity. But you know, we can always see other areas. We can, we can see the potential among us that can still be harnessed if we're willing. And that is if we are prepared to see stewardship of all of life from God's point of view. So the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, calls us not only to start well, but also to finish well in the strength and grace he provides. So that's looking at the big part of Psalm 24, verse 1. Now I'd like to read uh, from 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. And I'm reading from the NIV 2011, 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, where God's word says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. So, so we're going to look at those verses, how Peter understands stewarding and using our gifts and abilities. Notice in verse 10, every believer, each one of you, everyone in Christ, has God-given gifts and abilities. The word for gifts is actually the word charisma, and literally it means grace gifts. So they've been received by us, entrusted to us by God for the purpose of serving others. As I was reflecting on God giving out gifts to his people, I was thinking about how does that conversation go in the Godhead? 
where the Father and the Son and the Spirit uh, see us as people and they start to say, let's give him that ability. Let's give her that gift and ability. Just, I'm just wondering how it goes in the Godhead, but it must have been exciting in some ways for them to, to give gifts and to see how that would work out. And that, that's what's behind grace gifts. They're grace gifts. God distributes them in his grace in its various forms. And the word there is literally many-coloured or, or variegated, a splendid variety. So the gifts are on display. They're various. They're very beautiful and colourful. And this is God's way of saying, I'm distributing, I'm managing, I'm enabling you to have these gifts of grace. And then Peter divides them into two categories. Notice in verse 11, uh, A, if anyone speaks, and then in part B, if anyone serves. So the speaking gifts, to represent God, to bring his view on this world. In other words, to speak God's word into the lives of anyone who will listen. And the serving gifts, to minister or to serve others. And then the text says, with the strength God provides. It's like God is saying to us that the serving gifts have a supernatural element. And as I was thinking about that, it's interesting. If we have to serve in our own strength, we'll just conk out. But if we serve in the strength God provides, we can actually keep on going. That makes it a supernatural thing. So what are some of the speaking gifts that represent God? Well, naturally, we think of preaching the word and teaching the word, but also to encourage people, to, to tell people about Jesus, which is evangelism, telling good news, counselling, giving people godly advice and strategies, prophecy, explaining God's word and events, interpretation, warnings, even songwriting. They're just some of the word gifts. What are some of the serving gifts that we minister in God's strength? Well, hospitality, to have a home that is open. Mercy, to, to give to people in need, to be a present help, to visit people, to pray for people, intercession, to bring various needs before God is a serving gift, to help in assisting, to do project management work, to give money and to give goods generously. They're some of the serving gifts. But do you see the connection between God giving these grace gifts to us and then God receiving the praise and the glory? Because that's how the text goes on. So God provides and then to him be the glory. The connection is this. God gives these grace gifts to us. So God gives so that he can receive the glory through us using those gifts. So it's like God gives and empowers, we manage and use these gifts for his kingdom. What's the result? Well, the kingdom grows. And as the kingdom grows, God gets the glory for doing it through us. Supernatural results working through flawed human beings who are redeemed. And for that to actually work, it must be an act of God. Another passage we want to look at this morning is 2 Corinthians 
chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8. Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So here we see what we might call a sowing principle. In verse 6, you reap what you sow. If you are stingy in sowing, you get a very meagre result. If you are generous in sowing, then abundance results. So let's, let's picture that. You've got a, a bit of a, a veggie garden and you have some carrot seeds and you want to grow some carrots. Now, if you go and get individual seeds and work out how much it costs and say, oh, well, I can only really put in 10 or 20 carrot seeds, so you put 10 or 20 carrot seeds in, when they come up, how many carrots do you think you'll get? Well, probably between, between 10 and 20 or less if some of them didn't sprout. But what if you have a good patch and a whole packet of carrot seed and you liberally sow carrot seed into that plot? How many carrots do you think you might get? Well, I dare to say you'll get hundreds of carrots. You'll even have to thin them out. There'll be so many. So sow generously and you will reap generously. It's one of the laws of nature that farmers know well. Now, Paul applies that natural principle to the spiritual realm in sowing into or giving into the Lord's work. He says, sow generously... And then he adds, God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? I think the reason is that it reflects God's own heart. He is a cheerful giver who gives so generously. And then verse 8 adds this promise that God is able to bless you abundantly. As the giver of all grace, God will make sure that you have what is needed so that you can keep on sowing into the kingdom. In other words, God will generously supply you and me so that we can continue to be generous. That's how his economy works. And the end result is this, that people will see it and praise God, our owner, our Lord, our Redeemer, our provider, but they'll also see a credible gospel. They'll see a gospel that works through God's people. And God is bound to bless that by his sowing principle. Now, God has greatly used that understanding and that attitude in the hearts of his people. And I just want to give you a few examples. One is the missionary William Carey, who was a great English missionary to India. He's called the father of modern missions. And this is what he said and lived by. Attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. 
Another example is D.L. Moody. And he's the, the guy who established uh, Moody Bible Institute and Moody Books. But way back in the early days, they were at a prayer meeting with church leaders when uh, Moody was planning to start a Bible college. And God put it on his heart, but he needed some seed funding to get it started. So he gathered some church leaders around him and then began to pray. And one of his prayers was based on Psalm 50, verse 10. He was praying, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Will you please sell some? And then in the course of that prayer meeting, in comes a farmer. He tips his hat and he gives a check and he says, Mr. Moody, I've just sold some cattle and I want to help you start a Bible college. Now, now just think that through. Think about the timing of the prayer and the gift coming in that prayer. You'd have to say God was all over that request and that project even before it was prayed. Because the farmer had to grow the cattle or at least raise the cattle had to bring them to market, had to sell them, had to get the check. And then it comes in during that prayer. So God was all over that request and project before it was prayed. Another example from Australia is a businessman in our congregation in my first ministry in Perth. He was a close friend of mine. And as his business was growing, he came to me and he said he was really battling with worry he had these terrible migraines and he was confused about business plans. In the course of our conversation, I said to this guy, I won't mention his name, I said, are you prepared to hand your business over to God and put yourself on God's payroll? Now that was just a mind shift for this guy to actually see that he could be on the payroll but God owned the business. And I can tell you that that totally changed this man's life. It changed his migraines and all that worry he had. And then God used that business to establish lots of mission work uh, in, in overseas countries. So there's some examples of sowing generously and understanding that everything we have belongs to God. Think about our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was thinking about him, I thought, he has sowed so generously, he has sowed everything he had. His whole life, his whole body, he sowed that, went into the ground, as it were, to make us his own. So Jesus wants us to have this understanding for all of our life and all of our possessions. Because he is all about the kingdom of God. It's Jesus' mission, it's Jesus' passion, God's rule over God's people in God's place for God's purposes. How did Jesus say it in Matthew 6? He said, seek first his, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So your treasure is where your heart is, or your heart is where your treasure is. My question coming out of this morning is this. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Is it for the kingdom of God? And if it is, that's what you'll be sowing into, you'll be giving into. 
So invest in the kingdom of God and then you can ask anything in Jesus' name and he will supply. That's a promise of scripture. If you are investing in the kingdom of God. And God is a wise investor. And he is more generous than you can imagine. He loves to see his assets used wisely. And you know that you and all you have is his asset. Use it wisely, invest in God's kingdom, and you'll be investing in eternity. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, your perspective is so much deeper and broader than ours. I want to thank you for the correction to our thinking and a correction to the culture and its attitudes that we live in. Forgive us, Lord, when we think of the things that we have as being ours and hold on to them tightly instead of seeing them as yours and they're ours for temporary purposes on loan to manage wisely and well. Lord, I pray that through this message you will help us as a congregation to, to first of all see how blessed we are. Truly, truly blessed. In this part of the world, we are so blessed. And I pray, Lord, that as we consider our pledging for 2021, that we'll see that you have given us so much. How much do we need to live and how much can we give to your work? So give us, Lord, that um, balance of scripture and cling to your promises and the idea that we have everything on loan for a time. And you are the one who loves to see us so generously. You love a cheerful giver and you love to bless people of faith who trust that you can supply so that we can continue being generous. We ask you to do this in us and through us for your glory and for the extension of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.